0: Welcome to the CDC podcast episode 43 I'm your host Eric Swain, and with me this month is the Kentucky staff writer and video producer Heather Alexandra
1: hi how are you Eric
0: I always start with this same question but I kind of want to do it a little differently with you because you actually didn't start with video essays you started with let's plays on your own YouTube channel yes I did would you care to go into that
1: So yeah, my trajectory into a lot of stuff was uh, was a little different. I started writing on a blog, and then I wanted to try doing video stuff. And so the first thing I started off doing was a more structured Let's Play of Shadow of the Colossus. I didn't have a script for it or anything. I don't really write scripts unless it's like definitively like a video essay. But in this case, I did do some research beforehand, and that one was pretty okay. Like I I'm okay with that one. I really like it. And then I moved on to my personal favorite. I did Skies of Arcadia, where I just kind of let it flow. And I think that that's kind of the two sides of criticism for me, where there's something a little bit more maybe intellectual and prepared and then sort of the more emotive feeling stuff. And I I really liked
0: doing both. Yeah, I got that. The one I was going through was your Far Cry 4 Let's Crit.
1: Far Cry 4 game definitely better than people think but also not brilliant
0: it felt like one of those like dvd commentaries yeah of course where o- along the play is, although i can't quite imagine going through a 30 hour game like that
1: That was a little bit of experimentation into streaming as well. So before I was doing like streams every week and multiple times, you know, throughout the course of my workday, even sometimes I wanted to try making videos and streaming. And so Far Cry 4 was kind of the test bed for that, because there was a story that was worth kind of critiquing. And then there was also like rhinos that would jump out and kind of make things interesting as well.
0: And I wanted to start here because your introduction to this was different, but my usual first question was, what inspired you to go into video-based video game criticism?
1: Okay. So I don't know if I had a very strong baseline for what I consider video criticism. I had watched, I mean, I think everybody sits down and kind of gets very excited when the new... Chris Franklin video comes out. I think an entry point for other people too tends to be extra credits. Extra credits tends to be a little more prescriptive than what I'm looking for in criticism. It tends to be more about how things are handled almost academically as opposed to just on a raw critical level. But those are both good entry points. The thing that really got me interested in sort of longer let's plays was around the time I started doing Shadow of the Colossus, my favorite critic, my favorite writer, the one who I think has the best aptitude for this kind of work that we all do is James Howell. So he he did probably one of the best bits of written criticism. It's called Driving Off the Map. It's an essay about Metal Gear Solid 2. Around the time that I did Shadow of the Colossus, that Let's Play, somewhere around January, maybe even two years ago now, he did a commentated version of a big boss rank playthrough in Metal Gear Solid 2. And it was incredibly cogent, immensely eloquent, entertaining. Um, And that's sort of, whenever I think of video crit, whenever I think of Let's Plays, I think of that video and just how much I always wanted to emulate it, even though I didn't do anything quite as maybe intellectually stimulating as he. He tends to have a capacity, I think, for crit that goes above and beyond what I, I might even be capable of.
0: And you have different styles of these, because you have what you began calling them Let's Crit, and but then you started changing them into Let's Remembers? Yes.
1: Um, That was that separation between something more analytical and something more emotive. For me, heading back to Skies of Arcadia, there were plenty of times where I could be critical of the way that it formulates its combat systems, or maybe how it handles movement across the overworld, things like that. But the big draw for me was going back to a game that had emotional and personal resonance. And so I wanted to tap into a feeling of nostalgia, and so we started calling them Let's Remember. That got a little bit more focused later on once I kind of did the Patreon gig for like a little bit. Those ended up being more like kind of retro reviews of things. I did one, the last one I ever did, was on the Bouncer, which is this bizarre PS2 brawler. And that one wasn't really a full Let's Play. By the time that I was finally getting along with these, I paired them down to about 20 to 30 minute video recaps of games and sort of what was interesting about their systems or what was interesting about their narratives.
0: And I guess to give some historical context, you began doing all this in January of 2015.
1: Around then, yeah. I was writing maybe a little bit before that. I forget when PT came out, but that's always my benchmark for when I started writing, because I wrote a blog post about PT, and that was kind of the start of it all.
0: Yeah, that was 2014, August. <laughs> oh, you're looking it up. Yeah, so it's yes, been yes.
1: it's been uh, two years, a little bit more than two years then?
0: I find it fascinating, because we've been doing these interviews in roughly chronological order, and now we're coming up to, like, the neophytes and the newbies. And you have managed to establish yourself quite quickly. But you also did it in a very, like, I guess you 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 put your evolution right out there for anyone to see. Because unlike other channels where they have, like, their shows, they're listed and they're in order and every single one's an essay, you have quite a wide variety of content on yours.
1: I never really knew... Kind of what I wanted to do at first. I think a lot of times, and it without with a very good reason, because it takes a lot of preparation to get into things like YouTube or streaming. I think people enter in with kind of a plan, and I didn't because at the time, the idea of like doing extended critical work, as something to actually do, uh, it felt more like a hobby to me. I was working at, like, Starbucks. The idea that you could write about games or make videos about games and have that be a meaningful way to sort of go about your day, that was completely foreign to me when I was first starting. So it took a while for me to find a, sort of a comfort zone, especially with video production.
0: But it almost seen later on you managed to create a sort of Formal style when it came to the essay side of your uh, criticism. You, like, created these, like, 10 to 15 minute videos. Those are the longer, sort of, retro perspectives. But you also had the uh, mini series called Mini Crit of, like, under 10 minute videos focused on one very specific aspect of the game.
1: That was a nice challenge insofar as it forced me to come up with theses that were digestible and something that I could outline in a relatively short amount of time. Five minutes spoken is not that many words written. It it actually expands. It's like 1000 to 2000 words for a five to 10 minute video, depending on how you're pacing yourself out, or at least that tends to be my baseline. And the idea that you could sit down and have something that people would want to digest very quickly, that could be critical. I mean, other I mean, plenty of other people have done this, but the long-form crit is difficult to get people to really sit down and go on the journey unless unless, they're really invested in the topic or the game itself. If you have something smaller, you can approach a thesis or sort of make your point in a much faster capacity, and also people can like listen to it on their way to work or something, which is so much better.
0: I'm I'm still focusing on, like, the different types of essays simply just because of the large range you have, but is there any other type of work you did for your YouTube channel that I missed in this hodgepodge?
1: No, I think that was mostly it. I haven't looked at my YouTube channel for a while. Sometimes I toss up, like, streams on there now, Um, but usually if, if I can play it, and I can share it, and I can stream it, it's something that I will put out for Kotaku. I don't really use my own personal YouTube much anymore. I kind of wish I could have done, like, really longer plays through games. I sat down when Infinite Warfare came out, and I did a stream of that game from start to finish. And let's be clear, like, Infinite Warfare, not the best game, but there's still stuff to talk about. The Call of Duty series has a very interesting relationship with modern politics, and sort of trying to reinvent that and push it forward was interesting, but not necessarily successful. I wish I had maybe done some longer play stuff back when I was kind of using my own channel for my own purposes. I think that would have been a nice experiment, but that's, again, it's that difference between, like, I can either have that small digestible thing or I can have, like, a five-hour playthrough of Call of Duty that you just listen to. So it's hard hard to choose, but I I think I would have liked to have done some longer stuff as well.
0: Again, I'm having to change my question set up here, because usually I just ask, what is the process to make a video, but you're the first person I get to actually talk about, like, how you craft a Let's Play. Oh, especially, sure, yeah. Especially since you're doing, a, you're not doing an off-the-cuff, this-is-first-impression-style style comedy show with your Let's Plays, but actually insightful criticisms, you obviously had to have at least played each of the game you did a Let's Crit prior, I believe. I'm not sure, I don't know if you did that with Far Cry 4, but I'm pretty sure you did that with Shadow of the Colossus and definitely with Skies of Arcadia.
1: Yeah. Given you know so, about them. Far Cry I didn't have as much of a baseline for. It was kind of a little bit more off the cuff, but there's enough systems in Far Cry that you're able to discuss something interesting at any given moment, if only because they kind of intertwine and create interesting emergent moments. And also the narrative is just so weird in the recent Far Cry games that you will always have something to talk about. If it's Far Cry 3, it's, like, a naked lady and, like, really weird nativism stuff. And in Far Cry 4, it's, like, shifty and not entirely committed, like, commentary involving, like, Pol Pot and, like, stuff. Like, there's interesting stuff in those narratives. Uh For Far Cry, I didn't go into them. For a Let's Play, like, Shadow of the Colossus that had research in it beforehand that was making sure, like... There are unofficial fan terms for each of the Colossi, and they're all Greek. And I... I the old rumors that they came off some sort of CD that was included with an older version of the game. Uh, that's not really true, but it's become, like, apocryphal enough that those names have validity. So I wanted to learn those names and memorize them and understand what those things meant in Latin, and that meant a little bit of research. Not a ton, but just enough to make sure that I could talk authoritatively about something. With Skies of Arcadia, that was just a game I knew. Uh, if you have a game that you have a lot of familiarity with you can talk about it with a lot of authority and that's always compelling. I, th- I think the last thing people want to do, although this has happened during certain uh, aspects of Let's Plays that I've done, especially when I was first starting, the last thing that somebody really wants to watch is you like not knowing like where to go next. Um, sometimes you can integrate that into an interesting sort of narrative, but most of the time knowing the game is one of the most important things. Play through it, know the techniques, know all the cool stuff to talk about. Going into something like that blind is just it's good if it's personality driven, but for criticism I feel like that is a very that is a very difficult thing to do. I don't know if anybody had I can think of off the top of my head has really, really done it.
0: That's what I always felt was like sort of in the way of the let's crit. Format of the Let's Play because I've seen other examples done by Zalani Stewart and I can't remember the other person. No, yeah, Zalani. They did, de- they did Deus Ex. But yeah, Zalani, Zalani did, did Star some uh, Perfect Arc. And then I saw one by a person who did the Deus Ex, the original Deus Ex, but I cannot remember their name. I'm sure I'll dump it in the show notes or something. But what always felt like in the way of those formats is when the game intruded itself upon the criticism.
1: happens all the
0: time. (laughs) They they finish talking about this part, and then they have to wait for a guard to move on, or then they have to get through the maze they've already talked about, or they have to finish a shooting section where they've already talked about the placement of enemies. And I've always wondered, is there editing that needs to be done, and how you accomplished or didn't get around that problem?
1: I do not always use my first take. Uh, Or at least, uh, I mean, I hope to expand and have... Longer form let's plays and, and critical stuff, hopefully on Kotaku. We're trying to expand uh, video content for that, for the website, and I, I think it's very exciting. I think there are neat things in the works there. But when I was initially doing this, and I think with a lot of people who do this, you don't necessarily take your first take. It's nice to be organic, it's nice to have a genuine response to something, but Sometimes you want to show off a cool trick when fighting a Colossus, and if you fail that trick, like, five times before you get it, you're not going to use the five takes where you fail. You're going to use the one where you actually pull it off. It's small stuff like that that creeps up. Or sometimes you might, if playing a game with there's, you know, like a lot of threats, you might die. And you can, if it's a longer video, you can toss that into sort of what you're doing But I think you'll still do small edits. I know when I was doing Skies of Arcadia, there's a portion in that game where you can get a lot of recruitable crew members for your ship. And to cut down on just, like, time for people watching it, I would kind of cut between location to location. So you didn't have, like, 40 extra minutes of me just talking while we're sailing through the sky. You kind of pick and choose the moments that you need to have the player see. Not every moment in a game, particularly RPGs where there's so much travel. You don't need to show everything. Just find the important stuff and and get to that is probably the best way to go.
0: Judicial use of montage?
1: Sometimes montage. A lot of, like, crossfades and things like that. Nothing too complicated, though.
0: Do you... uh, You can sort of tell, like, on some of the early videos that you're speaking at the same time you're playing. Oh, yeah. was that something you continue to do, or would you, like, record and then just talk over the footage?
1: I've done that. I, I, I'm trying to remember specifics. I know there was one time I lost some of my audio on one of the segments for Skies of Arcadia. I want to say it was going into the ice continent, Glacia. I lost, like, all my recording on that. I still had the video footage itself, but I didn't have in-game audio or my... Uh, vocal track, like, that just got lost. And so I had the in-game footage, I put some music underneath it, I took the music that was in the game properly, I also tossed in some other music, and then I recorded over that. In certain cases, it's easy, it's not like you're faking it. When you're doing critical stuff, you're focusing on the game in a way that you don't need to react to a lot of stuff if you're talking about sort of the general construction of a space, or maybe an enemy design, or an encounter that's in the game, you don't need to... I mean, preferably you have that organic reaction, but there are times where you can sit back and say, well, there was a mishap, we can redo it, we can fix it.
0: Okay, that's for, like, the Let's Plays. I assume after that you simply export it mostly as is, up to YouTube with the uh, minimal editing to discuss
1: yeah you don't really have to do too much
0: and then I guess it's for the other half of your work of the the essays one of the earliest of which I believe you were talking over vanquish
1: oh yeah that's actually that's captured from a live stream so there are two ways that it can happen right so if I was live streaming back then and I thought I said something that wasn't completely (laughs) foolish, then I would actually share that. But the other ones had a little bit more substance and actual kind of control and critique to them. Those ones are a little different, though. You can have something that's more conversational that works every now and then. But when it came to more focused, critical stuff, that's when you get into a lot of production work.
0: Yeah, I noticed that uh, because the guns were very loud in that one, compared to later essays where you managed to uh, dull the game audio
1: from the speaker. After a while, you figure out how to, like, mix sound and stuff, (laughs) instead of just having it super loud.
0: And it it certainly did seem very casual, but I kind of noticed that, like, as one of two pillars of your essay works, one which is the heavily scripted one, and one is the ultra-casual one, which makes it into your work to this day. You never, so you can actually, like, flip between the two styles to address, like, I guess, different concerns about the game here. Yeah. And, well, for this Vanquish one, it has a very important point to this day, is that you've got to do more than just play games.
1: The main way that you learn to talk about video games is not necessarily to play video games. It's to do almost anything else but play video games. It's so weird how it works out that way, but once you have a foundation in literature and history and things like like, architecture, that helps. I, I still struggle with those things. Like, I don't necessarily have the strongest foundation in those spaces, but you, like, I find time to read stuff every day. You read the news, understanding politics, understanding, it, you know, like, the climate of the time that you are consuming the art or the time that it's made totally helps. Like, it helps you find the right vectors to approach it critically.
0: Yeah, I've had the same issues when I suddenly realize when I'm trying, in a review or something, I'm trying to address what the visual style looks like, and I realize I don't know anything about visual arts. Yeah. So I, I said, well, time to find up essays of people who do know about it.
1: It's tricky to find the, like, it also, it's like, now I'm stumbling over it just because I've been thinking about it so much. Finding the right words for the thing that you're trying to express is one of the most difficult things when it comes to criticism. And in order to do that, I don't think you necessarily get that by, like, just playing through Metal Gear over and over. And I don't think you get it by, like, going back to your old copies of EGM and seeing what the reviews were back then and, like, reading, like,
0: oh, they gave it a 7 for graphics. Like, what did they say about the graphics?
1: Um, you have to
0: do other stuff. I guess along that line, I can ask the question, what do you feel the video adds to the criticism?
1: I think video content nowadays, there's a couple things that it has going for it. One, video games are not a special art form. I always want to make that clear. I don't think video games are special, but I think they have qualities that are important to highlight. And just like I wouldn't want to have a still image of a film and talk about the entire film. I could maybe take a still image and talk about, like, the mise-en-scene of what's happening in that still image, but I wouldn't talk about the whole film from a still image. I wouldn't also do that with a game, right? You need to see a game in motion. You need to see how the systems are interacting. You need to see how the narrative plays out. In certain cases, you need to hear and listen to the performance or see how that performance has been crafted by character animators and things like that. And then also when you do a video thing and you have somebody's voice on there, it's more personal. Sometimes when you're writing quickly about games, particularly if you have like a blog that's just criticism or you're writing a like a really heavy critical piece, it can feel dry in the sense that there's a lot to cover and you want to hit those points hard. And that can sometimes maybe not f- make it feel as stilted, as like upper level academia i think i think game academia writing is is kind of a a chore to get through i think video you have somebody's voice and you have their personality and you get to listen when they stumble over their words and it's more human and i feel like the more human and more approachable we make our criticism the more people will kind of come to it and pay attention to it and maybe look at games a little differently than they have
0: before We've been jumping around this for a little bit, but yeah. what is the rest of the process in creating a video? What is the rest of the process in creating a video? Yeah, we've covered the research part, and I guess I'm asking about after that. So just video
1: assembly, which is just nuts and bolts stuff. It's making sure that you have, like, if it's a very casual Let's Play, it's like make sure your levels are set and make sure that your transitions are there. If it's something more involved, like a video essay... Like, you're spending time in Premiere, or you're spending time in, I don't know, some other editing software, and you're making sure that you have, like, if you're branding something, and branding helps people understand, like, this is a critical video. Like, you have to sit down and you need to make your intro. You have to consider, like, when does your music shift? Does your music shift at all? Um, I don't do a lot of musical transitions for the video stuff at Kotaku, but if I was doing something a little bit longer... I would probably consider having more audio transitions in the sound as well. And you have to find those moments, and you have to make sure that they make sense. If you can time your sound to action, it can make certain moments and certain points that you're making more impactful. So you have to consider a lot of different things in your audio and visuals to make sure that you have something quality-wise that you can present that will have sort of the most bang for its buck. With Let's Plays, it's a little easier when it comes to essays, even if you're doing something pretty simple and conversational, you still want to think about some moments where you can maybe add a little bit of punch.
0: This is what I meant by an evolution in style and polish of the presentation. Yeah. have on display in your channel because you start from, well, here's one of my first video essays where I literally just cut it out of a stream, and now I'm talking about audio transitions from intros into fr- to firmly delineate into the viewer's mind that they are listening to criticism and not something else.
1: I think it's important to have not an overwhelming degree of, like, pomp and circumstance to what you do if you're doing video content, but I think you should have enough pride in the content that you're making in order to present it as something that is worth presenting, which means giving it those extra little touches. It's very, like, anybody can pick up, and I encourage anybody to pick up, like, a capture card and a mic and to go at it. But if if you really want to drive a point home and you want to focus on a particular thesis, then you want to consider the presentation of that thing a little bit more.
0: So it was after doing this for about a year, a year and a half, you started to freelance occasionally for Kotaku, I believe?
1: Yeah, so, uh, well, my first freelance piece was actually for Paste Magazine. That was a while back. It was a culture piece called Video Games Have a Pessimism Problem, and we still do have a pessimism problem. (laughs) Although, given this day and age, I don't blame video games for having a pessimism problem. But uh, So that was around in May 2015. I started doing freelance stuff at Kotaku, I want to say, Sometime in 2016, around, I mean, I, I forget what it is. I could probably even look it up. But it, I want to say the middle of the year, so July heading into August or things like that. I got hired at Kotaku in, like, September of last year. So there was a, a little bit of a gap where I was doing a lot more content and freelance stuff for places like Paste or Zam, or occasionally I was doing some guest columns at Giant Bomb.
0: That's right, you did do the video reviews for
1: Zan. Yeah, it was a really fun experience. Back then, that was when Danielle Riendo was working on that site. She's very, very good at video content. She understands production, and she was incredibly helpful in making sure that I understood how best to present, like a review particularly, to people who kind of want to watch and get, Choice amounts of information and kind of get it with a nice rhythm.
0: What do you feel of or how do you approach a review that is text, but then you basically have to read the text like wouldn't there usually you think you'd create a difference for the different mediums you're working in. But how do you cross mediate between the two?
1: In my experience, you truncate what you're doing,
0: so written
1: reviews will be longer than what you will end up doing for a video review, unless it's something that you really want to go into comprehensively. In that case, you can just look over what you wrote for your written review, find the points that matter, get rid of the extra stuff, because even when we... (laughs) go over pieces with editors all the time and we're in a place where they're happy, you can always cut stuff from a piece in order to make it a little bit more focused. That's always an option. So when it came to video reviews for a site like Zam, for instance, I think the first one I did was a video review of The Witness, which is an incredibly intelligent game that is also like it makes me angry. Like, that game just makes me angry for, like, 90 different reasons. And instead of taking the time to be like, here are the 90 different reasons why this game makes me angry, like, you can focus on, like, two of them. You just find what's important, and you stick with the most important stuff.
0: And then you got picked up by Kotaku, and you do basically the same style video essays for them. I guess the Kotaku polish engine to help you.
1: I have a lot more resources at my disposal, which is very, very nice. But fundamentally,
0: I'm, I assume that the process is the same.
1: Essentially, the thing that actually takes the longest time for any video is actually capturing footage. You would think that for, like, a five-minute video, you could have, like, an hour of footage, but right. sometimes you need to get to specific things that you want to show off, and that means playing through a game for, like, five hours to get to that point. Sometimes you need a lot of things that you can cut to kind of for, like, B-roll. And to get that, you don't want to repeat it, so you need to get, like, another hour's worth of B-roll that you can just, like, use and cut around. So when it comes to video assembly, particularly now, I could talk to you, assembly is actually the thing that I can get through. And I think a lot of people, when they're working on at least shorter video content, regardless of where they're at, that's something that you can get through, quickly, once you have a fundamental understanding of the programs that you're using, so once you understand Premiere, you can kind of do uh, quite a bit with it. But the thing that actually takes up a ton of time is actually sitting down to play games, because games are long, and, and, like, they take up so much time.
0: But how do you choose, because your essays with Kotaku, they don't do holistics of the entire games. You choose, like, one aspect. Like, with Deus Ex, you chose one specific side quest. Yes. How do you choose that as a subject matter for an essay? Does it just appear to you and you're saying, yes, that?
1: So one of the guiding... Kazaku has a couple of guiding principles when it comes to what we will write about. One of the major ones is that we want to write about what people are doing, so we're interested in the social side of gaming. That means a lot of reporting. That means a lot of keeping track with communities and figuring out what they are talking about, reporting on those things seeing if there are problems talking to people, getting information that readers and players will value. The other half of that is to just write about things that you find interesting, which sounds like a very easy maxim, right? To just be like, well, if you find it interesting, write about it. But sometimes you sit back and you think like, maybe this isn't interesting enough. Or you sit back and you don't really bite and take your gameplay experience and use that as a, jumping off point into something critical or even something light. Sometimes writing about something you find interesting in games means writing about a quirky thing in in an interface. It doesn't mean doing full-blown critical work. Keeping that maxim in mind, though, if you are playing a game and you stop to go, oh, that's cool, that's probably something that you can write about, especially at Kitsaku, but also at plenty of other sites, if you're looking for critical content. If you are playing a game and you go like, oh, shit, then that's probably something that's worth talking about. You can write and say a lot about very little. Which isn't to say that it's little, like, critically or in a substance sense. But, like, if you want to, you can write about the crosshairs in Titanfall 2. If you want to focus on, like, a video trailer, the game explain people just put out, like, a two-hour explainer and, like, analysis of the Mario Odyssey trailer, that's, like, three minutes of content, and they ballooned that into almost two hours. If you have something that you find interesting, it's easy to talk about it, and it's easy to talk about
0: it at length. If you go, like, into, like, how the... ...that it was available on the Xbox One. Yeah. And then a lot of strange things happened during your... During they did. That, during that retrospective that kind of derailed, if there was a point, into all this awesome stuff. I got a
1: bounty while chasing another bounty. I, like...
0: You got the PS1 poker players. Yeah. The, there was, like, an, a
1: weird graphic glitch and their faces were all, like, super blocky. Like, they just didn't load the rest of their textures. In those cases, the reactions are the things that make it possible. Or even with the more systemic stuff, like, oh, I'm going to go get a bounty. Oh, for some reason, I got a bounty for X, Y, or Z reason. Now we get to see these systems intersect. You approach gameplay like that the same way that you would a normal Let's Play, which is to use the YouTube language, like, hey, guys, how's it going? We're going to talk about this thing. Isn't this cool? I love Red Dead Redemption. Like, okay, Red Dead came out this time, and when it came out, like, I couldn't believe it because I'd never seen horses. Like, you can just talk about anything that comes to your mind when you're playing a game, and then when the game starts to push back and do interesting things, you can react and incorporate that. So I did a more casual conversation piece. This wasn't for Kotaku, but it's something I did before that. I did it when I was playing through the demo for Final Fantasy XV, Episode Dusk Eye. And if you try and go out of bounds in that game in most locations, it actually, like quits your game. It like gives you a game over. But if you find the right places to sneak out of bounds, you can find like a bunch of old assets. Well, not old assets, but like hidden assets that exist in the game. And you get to go into these spaces that are like half built and kind of glitchy. And when I first discovered you could do that, then I realized like I could incorporate that into something larger. When you stumble upon interesting things, it's fine to stop whatever you're doing to focus on those interesting or funny things.
0: I bring this up because as much as I love Chris Franklin's work and Noah Cadwell Gervais' work, uh, Noah. It's, like, it's stuff that appeals to people like me. Sure. But I can instantly recognize, like, just booting up the Red Dead Redemption, like, this, is, this is very open, this is very friendly, this is very inviting.
1: It's tricky. You get into, like, the weird stuff. So, like, this isn't me complaining at all, because, cause, I mean, I love the fact that people are so passionate about this. But when we went back to Red Dead Redemption for that video, it was because it was finally getting ported, or getting backwards compatibility on the Xbox One. And I didn't own an Xbox One at the time, so I played, like, the PlayStation 3 version to just be like, hey, guys, this is a really cool game. And people were like, fuck you, you're not playing it on Xbox One. And that passion is cool, and you you run into these little hiccups, even though you're presenting something that is still nominally more digestible than some of the long-form criticism that seems to dominate YouTube. Like It's very fun, there is an accessibility thing, but people always find something a little strange, no matter what you do. It's kind of a challenge.
0: Have you felt, uh, I guess, generally positive in your experience in video criticism?
1: I think it's fun. I think... That's one of the most important things. Criticism should be fun to do. If if you are not having fun while writing your criticism or making your videos, you might want to reconsider your approach or reconsider whether or not you think criticism is a thing for you. I think I think I have a lot to learn. I can always up production value. I can always make things a little sharper. I can always capture better footage provided I have time. Time is the biggest currency in any of this, and it's it 's hard to accrue the right amount of time to get like the super high quality that you want. You can usually find a balance. I think that i 've enjoyed what i 've done, but i I know that I have a lot to learn, and i 'm excited to do to like sit down and figure out um, where I can expand and where I can go from here
0: i can 't seem to find it now, but I did remember seeing that you did one of the long form criticisms with someone else with someone I did you might be thinking
1: of I did a live stream once with Zolani Stewart in Austin see yeah. how and that was that was kind of impromptu so that was a live stream of Metal Gear Solid 2 and we didn't really approach it and sit down and say like hey we want to do a group criticism of Metal Gear Solid 2 it was mostly like me late at night being like I'm gonna stream Metal Gear Solid 2 do you guys want to join in and that can be fruitful I, I would love to see more long-form content that has multiple voices to it. I mean, that can be difficult because you have to balance perspectives, but I think that it would be very interesting to see more more collaborations, not only in the YouTube space, but also in, like, professional spaces. I don't know what that would look like, but I think that that's probably one of the more exciting developments that could happen once somebody cracks that code.
0: I was actually looking forward to hearing how that would work out with, like, multiple voices over one stream and getting a debate going, the call.
1: I think you can have more conversational stuff. I think it's easier, like, if everybody was in a room and talking together. Um, I think it's much harder to do remote. Anything remote is hard. I think one possible approach could be to... I mean, if you had a ton of time, you could do a Let's Play. I mean, you could record your footage... You could have someone commenting over it, you could have somebody else commenting over it on their own, and you could kind of interweave those tracks, not necessarily in a conversational sense, but the same way that... Have you ever played, like, the special editions of Secret of Monkey Island or anything like that?
0: The first one, yes. Right, so they have those little
1: moments where you can... And sometimes they're in the same room together, but sometimes it's certain individuals, right? Like oh, like, this screen, it's going to be Tim Schafer talking about this. On this screen, like, it's explicitly, you know, an animator or somebody else. I think if you can find people who are interested in talking about a game and you had all those perspectives, you could probably weave them into different chunks at certain points of the game. That would be interesting. That's definitely, like, incredibly intensive from a work perspective, though.
0: Yeah, the It! games do similar things with developer commentary. Right. The thought I was having, because I've seen interviews done this way, where, like, Tim Schafer did this with, like, a, a bunch of game developers. I only watched the one with Michael Ansell and Beyond Good and Evil. Oh, yeah. Where he, where he got one person just, to, he wasn't in the conversation, but he was playing the game. And then Tim Schafer would just interview Michael Ansel like it was normal over while the game was being played, sometimes referencing what was going on.
1: Yeah, that's definitely something that can be done. That's something I want to do more of. I've, I've been trying I've been trying desperately since I've gotten to New York to get independent developers or other folks to join me in a booth where we can just play their game and talk, because I think that's actually the, some of the more interesting stuff that you can do. Like, just to have people there who know the game so you can have your own reaction, but you can also defer to them and their expertise when you need to.
0: Yeah, that it seems like a much easier one, although I would really like to see, like, the in-depth version of that with just critics picking apart the game, like, how an individual one would do. But, like, you get like that various takes on it, the back and forth. And sure. Even, like, some of the professional bickering that would come along with it. Because you get that with movies, you get that with, like, books and how they're discussed, and it seems like this seems like the perfect way to do a video game, although very resource-intensive to pull it off.
1: I think it's also tricky because... I still think that even a critical approach like that, like I feel like that's still personality driven. So when I think of anything that's come close to it, I think of the guys at Giant Bomb, right? Who have a good rapport with each other, who are smart fellows. Like Jeff is a very smart person. Alex is a very smart person. They can talk about a lot of things while they're playing games. A lot of the entertainment from Giant Bomb comes from just watching them and enjoy themselves. But if you had plenty of people with strong personalities who could talk about games as they're going. Like, yeah, I think it'd be a good format. I think the difficulty becomes finding the right balance, like, like the right tonal balance for a general audience is tricky. I still think, and this is by and large, this is, this is a very bold prognostication. I think that criticism still has a very big accessibility problem and I'm not sure what to do. Do to fix it quite yet. Not like I'm. I want to establish here when I say that, like I'm not saying like I will be the one to fix it because that's arrogant and terrible. But like I think YouTube has made things more accessible. I think people find critics now and gravitate towards them in ways that they didn't in the past. But I still think it's very niche. I think it's always going to be a little niche. But I I think there must be a way to make criticism somewhat more egalitarian than it already is. I, I wish I knew how.
0: You reminded me of the trajectory that film criticism and reviews took. Right. In the late 80s, early 90s, and then we eventually got Ebert and Roper at the movie. Yeah,
1: you could just watch that on, like, a Sunday.
0: And that basically opened it up to the masses, and that's... Now that I'm thinking about it, this is pretty much what the YouTube video's criticism is, kind of.
1: Yeah, was. to an extent, definitely.
0: Although I think Giant Bob is probably going to be more successful in just that fun-loving personality-driven <laughs> they are area awesome. <laughs> than, than the in-depth version that that I'm more partial to.
1: I think to a certain extent when it comes to, like, we had that experimental phase where we had, like, G4 and, like, television shows that were explicitly about critiquing certain games, but that still was kind of a niche network. I think and maybe this is a cynical take on things, I think we lost, (laughs) I think criticism lost the battle before it was even fought a little bit in terms of accessibility and, like, general interest. I think when games were initially marketed kind of as child's toys or playthings that set a certain tone and a certain perception of games that we are still really, really struggling to break, I think part of that struggle is that the culture around gaming is a little disjointed in the sense that it does have a lot of critical thought. It does have a lot of in-depth, fun personality stuff going on. But I think sometimes games and the culture can feel pretty superficial, if only because games, especially like nowadays, games can feel somewhat superfluous in the face of like, Mounting political or social issues, like big problems. Like it's, it's hard to, and now I'm rambling, but it's like, it's hard to sit down and like be like, well, I'm gonna write about Rainbow Six and like cover a news story. It's hard, it's hard to do that when like the president is doing X, Y, or Z thing. And sometimes you can incorporate that into what you're doing, but, but I think there's a perception of games as kind of frivolous. And I think we're still like, once we break that perception somehow, then I think we will have maybe more mainstream crossover with criticism where it's not just people who are interested in games who are kind of paying attention to it, but people who are interested in art in general.
0: You said, I think, in you know, a lot of that, but I do believe that we actually have like evidence to a casual causal link to those sort of things because video games weren't always marketed towards children. They were marketed as a family product. That's true, too. And and in that era of the Atari, we had in mainstream magazines, like the social criticism that we're just now getting in the niche blog areas that would we'll look at releases and figure out what does this mean, what does this re- reflect on society. Yeah. But definitely with, uh, with Infocom's output, they, they actively recorded that. But then Nintendo came in. I would say maybe
1: in the 90s, early 80s, or something like that.
0: Yeah, then Nintendo came in and they rebranded all the marketing towards young boys and all of that kind of disappeared.
1: Yeah, I think but, I think we're still struggling with the
0: ramifications of a lot of that. I, I'm just saying, I I think we actually had evidence to oh, sure. your supposition.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It, it's rough. It's rough. I love games. I love the culture. I love the passion of people involved with it, but I do... I do think there was like there was like a moment somewhere in time. I don't know where in time. I think there was a moment where the paths diverged and we went down a very different path than what we could have.
0: Is there anything else about your work that you felt I haven't touched or covered?
1: Oh no, uh, I feel I feel weird. I feel absolutely weird talking about my work. I want to I want to establish that. Like, I still I have trouble with like compliments and stuff. So like, there's a part of me that's like, my work isn't that? Great. Um, Like, I don't know, like, I think everybody makes stuff. And I think everybody's nervous about what they make. And I'm just exceptionally nervous about what I make, because I I feel like criticism is, is, I'm so drawn to it the same way that, you know, you are, or a lot of people listening to this are drawn to criticism. And I think you always feel like you can do more it's just quantifying what more is or, like, what the next step is that that becomes a little difficult.
0: Okay, then I guess that leaves with the final question. Sure. What is your favorite video game of all time? Oh,
1: Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's such an easy question because I talk about it constantly. It's Guys of Arcadia. 100%. I talk about it at the drop of a hat whenever I can. Even, like, when I'm writing at Kotaku and people are like, Hey, do you like pirates? And I'm like, let me tell you about pirates. Let me tell you about pirates that sail in the sky. Let me tell you about the nicest game that I've ever played. Like, I don't know, there's something, there's something fundamentally redeeming and wonderful and light and reaffirming about that game for me. And I wish I understood the magic that it has, but that magic is, um, ineffable and unquantifiable, which is a bummer for me because I like analyzing things. But the truth of the matter is that game just... That game makes me believe in, like, heroes? It's swashbuckling pirates going to stop the evil empire and, like, people who don't give up when things are bad. And no matter how hard things are, they always crack a joke or find a way to push forward. And I think that's a sentiment that I would like to see more in games and in real life. I think it's very, very easy To despair, or to second-guess yourself, or to feel trapped by certain systems or certain powers that exert a lot of real influence over you. And I think a game like Skies of Arcadia, even if it's a somewhat average JRPG, gives me a lot of hope. And hope is at a premium these days, and so I absolutely adore that game for that.
0: You are the first person I've had on not to complain about that question.
1: Oh, what? No. (laughs) We should always be able to talk about the things that we love. We shouldn't be like, oh, come on now. Like, no, if we love something, we love something. Let's talk about the things things we love. What
0: is your favorite game, Eric? Oh, no, I'm saving that for when I have to interview myself. Oh,
1: okay. Okay, not bad. (laughs) (laughs) If you love something, do it. If you love something, tell everyone about it. Like, don't be shy. Passion is the thing that really makes all
0: of this happen. Well. It certainly shines through with your work. Thank you for coming on, Heather. Tell the people where they can find you and your work.
1: So you can find me and my work every day at Kotaku.com. If you're looking for me on Twitter, you can find me at at transgamerthink. From there, you can probably find a lot of my other stuff. I have an old blog that I don't really maintain anymore. It's transgamerthoughts.com, but occasionally I will write some fleeting thoughts on there. Um, But that would be all the places where you can find my stuff.
0: And if you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes. Every rating helps. It always gives me a warm, fuzzy feeling to see a new one there, even if it is very rare that it happens. Yeah, go for it. And for Critical Distance as a whole, if you like our work here, not just the podcast, but all the work that we do at Critical Distance, you can help support us at our Patreon at patreon.com slash critical distance. Every little bit helps. We have plans for other projects in the future that we would like to, but we need to get the funding. If you're already supporting us or you can't do it financially, spread the Patreon link around. Tell everyone about the great work you do. It all helps in the end. Again, Heather, thank you for coming on. Yeah. It's been a blast.
1: Thank you for having me.